Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody. Anyone here for the first time tonight? Welcome to everyone coming for the first time. Anybody joining us on Zoom for the first time? Welcome to you. Um, this is my regular Monday night meditation class. It's been happening um, on the west side of Los Angeles every Monday, pretty much every Monday night for the last, like, we're almost going on 18 years now of this Monday night Sangha. Um, so welcome to those of you who are joining us for the first time. Welcome back to everybody else. Good to see everyone. I choose different topics. Sometimes I do series on Monday nights. The last couple of weeks I've been, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the different um, forms and functions of meditation and, and intentions behind, are we using meditation to uh, ignore that kind of like avoidance meditation that feels so good where you get to ignore all of the causes of suffering and have a temporary experience of relaxation? Uh, are we using meditation to uh, train the mind to actually develop skills, not just ignore the mind, but train it to be more kind, more compassionate, uh, intentionally directing towards non-attachment, towards compassion? towards forgiveness, towards healthy emotional responses to the reality of our lives. Or the third you know, uh, category that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago of uh, sometimes we're meditating and we're not ignoring and we're also not uh, directing the mind, we're just observing, just watching what's, what's happening, just becoming awake to, okay, look, check out what my mind is up to. Look at these emotions and not manipulating or controlling, uh, but just observing that kind of non-interfering awareness, just observing. Last week, I more specifically talked about the four foundations of mindfulness, this core teaching from the Buddha, the intervention for suffering um, of how we can see clearly through our own mindfulness, awareness, training, the um, truth of impermanence in the body and in the heart and in the mind, uh, and how uh, everything is perceived as pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, and our natural tendency to create suffering around pleasure, clinging, attachment, totally impersonal, totally natural, uh, but avoidable suffering of humanness, the clinging to pleasure or the aversion to pain, the anger, the resentment, the resistance to pain. So the four foundations of mindfulness that the Buddha says, here's, you, you want to not suffer? Would you like to be free from suffering? Would you like to be happy? Here's how to do it. Train your mind to see clearly and respond wisely. You don't have to suffer anymore. There's three characteristics, and tonight I'm, gonna, I'm giving you this review because tonight I'm going to pick up. Last week I talked a lot about the truth of impermanence and how impermanence creates a unreliable, unsatisfactory nature to all conditioned phenomena. And I just mentioned the third uh, aspect of reality that mindfulness reveals, 
and that is the impersonal uh, nature of things. Tonight, I'm going to talk about the impersonal nature of things, the Buddha's teachings of anatta, how mindfulness, the, mind, the investigation of meditation, uh, if taken seriously and thoroughly, uh, leads to uh, some insight, some wisdom, some understanding about who you are. And so I wanted to start tonight, I like to start by asking uh, everybody to talk to each other. Part of my intention for, you know, continuing to teach meditation classes, groups, um, is to help you meet each other. I'm happy to give you the meditation instructions, happy to share the Dharma, uh, but really to facilitate community. It's one of the core refuges in, in Buddhism, which is meeting, connecting with other meditators, with other people who are also interested, developing uh, fellowship, community, Sangha, connections with each other. So I like to start class most of the time by asking you to talk to each other so you have the chance to meet some people in the room. So tonight I'm going to give you a fucked up topic. And I want you to do it in dyads, so just with one person. Um, uh, hopefully it'll work out. Hopefully and maybe there'll be a group of three, but just I want you to turn towards one person um, in the um, breakout. Now this is going to be hard in the breakout rooms because I'm going to put you in groups of two and then half of you aren't going to come and you're going to be sitting there by yourself <laughs> in the breakout rooms. Uh, so maybe I'll do groups of three for online, then hopefully we'll get at least two people in each room. And if there's three, it's okay. But I, I like to do this exercise in dyads because all of the meditation and the talk tonight is going to be about that natural human question, who am I? And looking at what it is that we're identified with as that's myself, that's who I am. Central to Buddhist teaching, central to the Buddha's enlightenment was coming to understand who he was and who he was not, and how the, some, so many of the identifications were causing suffering, the misidentification, the clinging to I and me and mine, that selfish, self-centered, of humanity that causes not only suffering to ourselves, but to each other, that selfishness, that lack of kindness, that lack of generosity. So I want you to start by doing a dyad with someone in the room, turning to someone, and then saying 10 times, this is tough, and you can maybe track it like with your fingers, you got 10 of those, hopefully. I am, I am Noah, I am a male, I am a father, I am an aging punk rock-er, I am, and kind of look at like what, you know, like who, this question, who are you? I am, I'm an addict in recovery. I am somebody that uh, is covered in tattoos. I am, and look at, you know, just 10 times. And pretty quickly, you run out of things to be identified with. Who am I? I am my body. I am my mind. I am my generation. I am the conditioning of my ancestors. I am, you know, cisgendered white male in, you know, fascist America. I am 
what you know who are you and so answering that 10 times i am i am 10 things that you kind of on some level think that you are walk around the world thinking like yeah this is who i am i'm an addict that's who i am i'm a human i'm a homo sapien sapien i'm a american Fuck yeah it's fourth of july fucking american gross i'm gross <laughs> i'm a pervert whatever you like walk around sort of thinking of yourself things you identify with make sense i know it's a fucked up assignment but try it and at home i'll do groups of three and um hopefully at least two people will show up and if three do great and i'll move people around if i need to so go ahead somebody turn towards somebody find a partner 10 times i am One of the qualities encouraged in this kind of Buddhist mindfulness meditation is investigation, inquiry, uh, curiosity, questioning. Um, and I, I don't know if it feels like this to you, but it does seem like one of the big questions, human dilemmas is who am i who am i really is there a spiritual essence to who i am is there a soul is there a self is there is there a true self versus a false self is a is is my ego you know views and opinions is that who i am we got a lot of views i've got a lot of i got opinions about everything is that who i am my opinions my my conditioning um is this body, this physical form that is aging without my permission, that is, you know, subject to sickness and death? Is that it? Is the, uh, you know, and, and is, you know, questioning, is that my view? Or do I have a material view of, of existence that were these bodies? And then the body, you know, it's part of the Buddhist question. Is there a part of us that continues after death? Is there an afterlife? Is there, a, you know, some some kind of continued existence beyond the physical form? If we do believe that or come to understand that, what is it that continues? You know, then because that sort of, if you believe in an afterlife, then on some level you believe I'm not this body. There must be some part of me that's not this body that continues into, you know, whether you believe in an eternalist, heaven forever, or hell forever, eternal damnation, or the Buddhist perspective, which is a, a rebirth. There's some sort of essence of us, some, some part of us that takes rebirth. If that's true, am I this body? I walk around mostly identified with like, this is who I am, this meat form, flesh. So part of what we're doing in meditation, especially when we get into the, you know, I don't know, deep end, not just, I know some of you are new. The intro is like, learn to ignore your mind. 
<laughs> pay attention to your body. It'll give you some relief. The intro to meditation is, you know, some relaxation, some presence, some learning to focus on the breath, ignore the mind. But as the Buddha's teachings, the, the core of what we're investigating here is uh, how is my identification with my body, my mind, some of the relative truths around gender or occupation or socioeconomic status, race, all of those things that are true on the relative level, 100% true. How we walk through this world is our gender and our orientation, how we're treated, our race, how we're treated in this world is true. But questioning, is that who I am? Is that my true self? Am I a white person or am I a black person or a Mexican person? Or is that, that's, is that who I am on the relative level? Yep, it's how I walk through the world, it's how I'm treated. It's how I think about myself. But Buddhism is asking these bigger questions. Is there a part of me that is beyond gender, beyond sexual orientation, beyond race? that is a universal part of the human, that's not about the relative way that we are conditioned and treated in this world. I don't wanna dismiss the relative. It's true, it's important, it needs to be addressed. But Buddhism is asking this bigger question on some, I think, I think it's bigger. Um, who are we? Part of the Buddhist teaching is, is that if you can truly understand uh, who you are and who you're not, you won't suffer so much. You won't take things so personally. You won't be so attached to your views and your opinions and all of the things that you suffer about in this world. And all of Buddhism is an invitation to end suffering. All, you know, the Buddha over and over said something like, uh, I only teach how to end suffering. That's it. That's all I'm interested in. I'm not really interested in politics. I'm not really interested in, you know, I'm interested in how humans create suffering and how we can end suffering for ourselves through our own efforts in this lifetime. And it's not so much about how can I change the world and end suffering for all living beings, although that's a noble pursuit also. It's a worthy thing to, to put some effort into. The core of early Buddhism is, is personal. Who am I? Why am I suffering? What's the causes of these sufferings? Is there an intervention? Is there a way to relate to my human condition, this ego mind and this physical body and this emotional process that's part of our lives where I don't have to suffer about it, where I can be at ease, at peace, relaxed, happy, joyous, free from suffering. It's the whole question in Buddhism. It's the whole practice. So I'll, I'll lead a guided meditation. I'll bring in some of this inquiry, some of this investigation. Who am I? What am I? What is, what is aware of this? And then we'll have some more talk and discussion after the meditation. So find a way to sit that's upright, that's relaxed, that feels meditative. You don't have to be rigid. You don't have to be absolutely still, but find a posture that you feel like you can settle into. 
take a moment to release any unnecessary tension. Can your eyes be soft, your brow, your jaw released, and your shoulders relax a bit away from the ears? Start with mindfulness of your body, present time, non-judgmental awareness of the physical sensations and the physical form of our body. And tune in to the sensations in your stomach. Is there any tension, any tightness holding? As you exhale, can you soften your belly? Can you release? Relax any stem, stomach tension. Are your hands resting on your legs in your lap, effortless? Mindfulness works best if we bring a attitude of kindness, of friendliness, patience and tolerance. Spend the first few minutes here just investigating your body. What are you feeling? What is your body experiencing in the sitting posture? What sensations are here? One of the obvious sensations often is the breath, feeling the breath as it comes and goes. but not such a narrow focus on the breath tonight, a more expanded, holistic awareness of your whole body, hands and feet, legs and arms.
investigating and reflecting a bit on this body. Remembering being young when your body was small, young. We come into this world as these tiny babies and the body just keeps growing. Maturing, expanding. At some point, I think it's pretty early. Before we're 20 years old, I think the body stops growing. Maybe reflecting back on when your body stopped growing. And at that point, although it doesn't seem like it through our 20s and 30s, what's actually happening is the body begins decaying. The aging process no longer growing now, decaying, this physical body. Reflecting on how far away from your late teens, your early 20s you are, how long have you been decaying this body? How long has the downhill <laughs> slide towards death been happening. Maybe you're only five or 10 years or into it, or maybe five or 10 or five or six decades into it. What are the signs, the feelings, the sensations of aging in your body, if any? How's it changing? How is gravity beginning to win? The elasticity of our skin. Wrinkles coming in. Hair graying. Falling out. Sagging. And reflect a little bit, think about, use your mind to contemplate the body. Am I this body? Is this who I am? And it's okay if you're pretty convinced that the body is your identity, who you are. But have some open-mindedness, some curiosity. This body that ages, 
subject to sickness, death. And then expanding a little bit more. Part of this body is perception, how we perceive, how we know the body, the feeling tones of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Investigate your body for pleasure, for pain. What feels good right now? Anything feel pleasant? What feels unpleasant? Anything painful, uncomfortable? Part of this investigation is how personal we take the sensations in the body, the pain, I am in pain. I am the pain in my knee. Or I am happy. I am this joy, this pleasurable comfort. That's who I am. These impermanent sensations, how identified we are, become with our impermanent sensations. Now expanding to the mind, mental formations. What's your mind up to? What kind of thoughts are here right now? Plans, memories? How much of our identity is based on experiences we've had in the past? The conditioning of our lives, 
what we've experienced, lived through, what we remember. How identified we become with our culture, our subculture, based on experiences maybe a really long time ago. So much of my mind still identified with the 1980s because I remember those formative years. Filtering the present experience through views and opinions created decades ago. It's very interesting for a moment, contemplate who would you be without your memory? If you just had no past and you were just here right now, completely free from the past, free from memory in that way. And you just had this direct experience of the present. be a bit destabilizing to our sense of self, but also liberating. No resentments, no sorrow. No trauma, just free from the past, just here, completely in the present. Who would I be without my story? See if you can become aware of how thoughts think themselves. This quality of just observing the mind, memories and plans, hopes and fears, even the views and opinions. You're just sitting here, minding your own business, 
and the mind keeps thinking. Even when we try to ignore the mind and pay attention to the body, breathing, the mind keeps thinking. We become so identified with our thoughts, our memories, our aspirations, our plans. Our personalities. All of these mental formations. But as we meditate, we see these are just thoughts thinking themselves, arising and passing. What if you related to your mind like you do your heart or your lungs? Understanding that the heart beats all by itself. The lungs breathe all by themselves, automatically. And the mind thinks all by itself. It's not so personal, it's just what the mind does. The lungs breathe, the brain thinks. The last level of this investigation is consciousness itself. What is aware of the thoughts? What is aware of the sensations of the sense doors? What's perceiving the sounds, the sensations? What is aware 
of the experience right now. Perhaps internally just asking that question, what is aware? What is this that is knowing? The sounds, the sensations, the thoughts, the emotions.
what is taught that is is that um the three liberating liberating insights that mindfulness leads to um that when you pay attention you will see for yourself and you get to decide you get to decide if this is true you don't have to believe buddhism but you get to check this out and investigate it for yourself but one is that everything's impermanent and most of us are like yep checks out everything's impermanent <laughs> i get it every breath is changing every sensation every thought every emotion every experience everything's impermanent kind of a simple to understand right to kind of to get impermanence checks out second one connected i talked about this last week because everything's impermanent there's no uh reliable refuge external there's no experience that um is worth clinging to because it's all impermanent every relationship has a beginning a middle and end every experience has a beginning a middle and end there's an unreliable uh, nature to all things and you're kind of like yep it's impermanent so i get that it doesn't stop us from clinging it doesn't stop us from wanting to feel secure to feel safe to feel like uh, we can uh, you know trust people or trust experiences but also checks out right kind of easy to be like yeah everything's impermanent and ultimately unsatisfactory or unreliable <laughs> this third one that we're investigating opening to for tonight um impermanent unreliable impersonal or not self the buddha's teachings on anatta this question of who am I? What, where, where's the true self? Where's the self? Is there a self? Am I this body? Am I this mind? These emotions? These? Am I consciousness? Is that who I am? Like, I feel like um, for most of us, not quite as easy to grasp. Not quite as easy to be like oh yeah impermanence duh <laughs> not self wait a minute i'm pretty sure i'm me and you're you what's the buddha talking about here uh and i find it you know a little bit challenging to teach and to talk about um because it's a, it's a little confusing because of course i don't know i feel like of course there's a self of course, I am me and my conditioning and my personality and my body and all of that. But then in meditation, when you start to look at it with this invitation to investigate, am I this body? Am I this mind that thinks all by itself, this body that ages all by itself, this, uh, these emotions that, you know, don't seem to be all that manageable, that just sort of, you know, get triggered? both pleasant and unpleasant. And the Buddha landed, he said, my experience has shown me that there is not a separate solid self in this human experience, part of his enlightenment, part of his liberation. 
was, and this is much different than a lot of other spiritual teachings, a lot of other spiritual paths, a lot of the Indian philosophy that he was surrounded by, and the conclusion that a lot of the sages and you know gurus in India came to was that there's a true self. There's a there is there is a, a false self and a true self. And the Buddha said, no self. He said, no, no, being identified with even the positive emotions is a mistake. Being identified with a permanent soul is a mistake. The simplest way that he broke it down, and again, you get to listen to this and contemplate it and come to your own conclusions. I just, I just really encourage and you know what has been helpful to me is to just try to keep an open mind sometimes we hear something that doesn't fit with our experience and we want to just reject it and be like ah fuck that but just like kind of keep an open mind and be like here's how i relate to a lot of buddhism you know including some of the anatta stuff with a like i'm not sure uh a little bit of an open you know not 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 certain uh but so far I've verified, I've got verified faith on the benefits of mindfulness, on how it's led to less suffering, more compassion, uh, less attachment. I've verified like, uh, you know, the first noble truth, the normalizing of suffering checks out. The cause of suffering being the repetitive craving and clinging checks out i you know i believe it because i know it's true in my own direct experience anatta i'm not sure but he wasn't wrong about all of this other teachings which gives me a little bit more openness a little bit more faith that he probably wasn't wrong about this i'm just having a hard time directly understanding it and so i don't know if you are open to that kind of uh, suggestion, but I encourage it. Um, I've met a lot of students who just like want to dismiss things that they don't agree with. Doesn't fit, I just dismiss it. Just want to encourage like, well, just stay open. Maybe you might be right. The Buddha maybe was wrong. You know, like open to that possibility. Perhaps he was mistaken. Perhaps you are correct. Just like stay open to that, but also maybe I'm not right, <laughs> you know? So let me keep looking at this. Let me keep investigating. That makes sense, that sort of encouragement towards open, openness to it, investigation. You don't have to come to a conclusion. The way that the Buddha, explained it. He said, in my direct experience, what I, what mindfulness has shown me um, is that there is this sense of self, that, but that it's, um, it doesn't exist by itself. It's created. The feeling of I and me and mine that's universal that we all experience is created. He said, there's these five aspects of our humanness that when they come together, they create a, a self following me five aspects that when they come together they create a self but they when you start to unpack it 
you can't find a solid separate self uh, that's not coming together with these these five things and he's in the five things are and he calls them we call them skandhas um skandhas translates to like um heaps or piles or you know these different sort of heaps of experience and the first one is the body physical form so there's like there's this the truth is we have a we have a body there's a physical body the second one is in this physical body there are feeling tones pleasant unpleasant neutral the third one is there's some part of this physical body that includes the brain the nervous system the brain the whole physical body that perceives our experience perception because there's pain but then there's that part of us that knows pain there's pleasure there's that part of us that knows pleasure that perceives it there's also that part of perception and the fourth one which is mental formations which is uh we perceive our experience and our thoughts based on memory the conditioning of like um like you hear the sound of the and immediately your mind says siren but siren is something that we learned right that you based on memory that sound is a fire truck so we're perceiving that mental formation you have to consult memory like in the meditation tonight was that interesting at all to think about what if i didn't have a memory if i didn't remember any of my past experiences who would i be how much of my self is based on memories i never saw it but i heard it was cool there's some um ted talk about some neuroscientist who temporarily loses their memory and then they something about uh they're like i was so happy I'd never been so relaxed and happy and free from suffering. There's nothing to suffer, no memory, no problems, no suffering at all. I was, you know, cause I didn't even know that I should be pissed off about not remembering. That there's this experience of ease and happiness, tranquility when we let go of the past, which is a lot of what we're doing in Buddhism and mindfulness, letting go of the past, seeing it. As, oh, these are just memories, so identified, so attached to experiences that are impermanent, that are gone, that are they've formed a self around the past. Now, some of it's probably necessary. We need to remember, like, don't walk in traffic. <laughs> you know, there's some survival instincts, uh, necessity to remembering what's safe, what's not safe, what's, you know, don't, don't put your hand in the fire, all of that shit you need to remember, like fire hot. <laughs> it's good to have memory <laughs> for some of that stuff. Serves us in some ways. So, the Buddha said, you know, there's a body, there's feeling tones, there's that part of us that perceives the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, that perceives our mental formations, our thoughts. Mental formations includes both the planning and remembering and also all of the emotional experience that we have. It's all a mental formation. Joy is a thought experienced in the body. Hatred is a thought 
also experienced in the body. We like to make this separation of like heart and mind, but the Buddha didn't make that separation. He said, you know, the, the, uh, the mind is the heart. You know, we experience it and you know that physical center channel where you experience love, but you also experience rage in your heart. It's a thought, but there's a somatic, there's a physical experience of emotions. And the fifth aspect is consciousness. <laughs> then I asked you in the meditation to investigate that. What is it that's conscious that you're perceiving pleasant and unpleasant and neutral? What is it that's conscious that the mind is thinking? What is it that's conscious of the breath? So he says these five things, when you, when you have a body and feeling tones and perception and mental formations and consciousness, it comes together to be I am this thought, feeling, sensation, perception. And when we, con you know, instantly it consults memory, I am Noah. And this is, I'm here and I'm a Dharma teacher. That's who I am. And I remember. <laughs> I'm in the place, I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. Or uh, I am Noah and I'm with my kids and I'm, I'm the dad. That's okay, that's, that's my role. I'm, with, I'm the dad with the kids or I'm the friend or I'm the husband or I'm the whatever it is. That's my role in that because these five things come together. There's a body, there's, I remember, <laughs> I'm perceiving the experience and there's this consciousness. But if you start to unpack that, like if you had a body with no consciousness, like you ever um, been around anybody in a coma? Uh, how about a dead body? Or I don't know, I'm trying to think of, uh, but like, how about when you're asleep? I don't know, this might not be the right. Being asleep's an interesting thing to contemplate. Are you still you when you're asleep? Uh, maybe maybe the coma is a better <laughs> example, um, but you know if there's a body and there's perception and there's all of that, but there's no consciousness, is that still you? If you're unconscious, is that still you? Is that your? Is there a self there? If um, if there was no memory, if you had no mental formations, if you were brain dead, would you still be you? It's interesting to contemplate. I mean, I'm, you know, are we just our brains? What if my brain died and there was no memory and there was no mental formations and the body was still breathing? And that's, you know, is that still self? You, you hear about people who are with people uh, in the dying process or on the deathbed or in comas. And it's like, they're just not there anymore. That person that I knew, the body was still there, it was still breathing, it was on the machines or whatever it was, but there, where, was their, where was their personhood? Where was their, you know, um, wasn't them anymore because one of these heaps was removed, the consciousness or the mental formations or the... One of the ways I think about this is, um, I don't think it's a great example, but it helps me to think about it this way. 
because part of what Buddhism is saying is there is not a self. There's not, there's not a solid, separate, continuous self, but there appears to be a self. I feel like me. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you're you. You appear, right? There's this appearance of a self. But what the Buddha is saying is it's a, a lack of investigation. It's a lack of understanding. It's a little bit like, do you think the sun rises and sets? Do anybody see the sunset tonight? Like we all know, like pretty much at this point, we all know the sun does not set, nor does it rise. We know that we're on this planet that's spinning and it's spinning away from the sun and, you know, and that it's not actually, it's a, it's a kind of visual uh, illusion that it looks like it's going down, but it's not going down. The sun's in the same fucking place. We're turning away from it. It is not setting, but it looks like that. And so we think, oh, the sun is setting. I am watching the sunset. Part of this self is a little bit like that. It's like this, this illusion that's created based on consciousness and memory and a body. And I, uh, the other example I, I heard recently was, um, I didn't know this, that there's no such thing as the tide. Uh, the tide doesn't come in and out the way that, like I was sort of thought of the tides as like, the water is sort of being pushed in from somewhere out there and pulled back. But it's actually the same thing like the um, sunset. It's the, the earth is rotating. There's just so much water. And as the earth turns this way, it goes that way. And as the earth turns back, it comes back. It's just the rotation of the earth. You know, the water sort of sloshing back and forth because the earth is spinning. But it really looks like, I thought like there was something, the moon is bringing the tides in and out or, whatever magic was happening in the ocean. And then I was like, you know, just saw some stupid probably thing on social media uh, of like, that's not what's happening here. It's just the earth spinning and the water sloshing out and the water sloshing back in. There's just only so much water and it's not rising and falling. It's just, is it going that way or is it going that way? Because we're on this spinning orb, just like the sun setting. Have you ever seen a rainbow? Do rainbows exist? Are rainbows real? Are they real? <laughs> so this question of, is there a self? There's as much of a self, here's my conclusion. There's as much of a self as there is a rainbow. Rainbows exist as something that we can experience, we can see. We can't touch them the way that we can touch this physical body. We can't touch, but we can see them. We've all, we can perceive, oh, look at that. And you know what creates, you know, if there's enough light and moisture and something to reflect off of, you know, so there's earth, there's a body. There's light, there's consciousness. Uh, and then there has to be some moisture. I don't know what the moisture is, the feeling tones or the perceptions or something. And it creates this rainbow and you see it and you're like, oh yeah, it's fucking rainbow, that's beautiful. Part of, I think part of what the Buddha is saying is like the creation of a rainbow or the illusion of the sun setting and 
It's like, yeah, I see, I see the sunset all of the time, but it's not actually setting. The earth is turning away from it. I'm just misperceiving the experience. There is a, a self here, but it's created based on memory and consciousness, perception. It's that, you know, yeah, the rainbow is a real thing. You, you perceive it, but it's not that tangible. Like, I think it's quite interesting to say, like, well, what part of you is yourself? Neuroscience has been asking this question for a long time. Science and has been like, well, where is the human, you know, where's the seat of consciousness? Where's the, you know, because I feel like science is like, well, you're conscious. So you're, I think, therefore, I am kind of whoever that was, Descartes or somebody, can't, I don't know, some kook. <laughs> some kook that didn't investigate deeply enough like no you just think all it just thinks it's what your brain does it's not personal but it's interesting to think well, well where is myself who am i neuroscience has you know chopped up millions of human brains trying to find out what part of the brain does the self exist in? Because science is pretty convinced it's got to be in the brain. It's the seed of consciousness, but they can't find it because it's not one part of the brain that's conscious. It's this whole process when you bring it together, a body and a nervous system and a brain and a cortex, and you bring this whole thing together, consciousness happens. You start separating it and dissecting it, can't find consciousness. It needs all of these factors to be a rainbow of self. <laughs> Does it make any sense? So the Buddha kind of says it in this kind of, it feels like it's like simply, if you are mindful, you will understand that everything's impermanent, that nothing is satisfactory or reliable and that it's all very impersonal that there is not a personal self that this is happening to now this is a pretty radical perspective because it feels really fucking personal when we are in pain when we are you know injured or grieving or having difficult emotions it feels like i am this emotion i am this joy i am this sorrow i i this is me the more we meditate and this is where i feel like it's a bit more practical and that hey, we have these conversations we study the dharma we discuss the dharma the more we can start to see oh it's not that personal this is the human condition this is what it's like to be a person. Joy and sorrow, pleasure and pain, gain and loss. We all live in these bodies that repetitively crave pleasure and are afraid of pain. It's not your fault. It's not who you are. It's not. And the more we start to see that, the less personal we take it, the less we suffer. Be like, oh yeah, craving again. Big surprise. I'm craving all the time. It's just what this body does. It craves pleasure. One more cookie, please. Anybody help yourself? I brought some cookies. 
sitting in meditation, being like, oh, I don't like being uncomfortable. This sucks. My ass hurts. My knees hurt. My mind's anxious. Not personal. Just part of having a nervous system, uh, unpleasantness. There's this survival in instinct that says, we should avoid this. We should avoid unpleasant experiences. But the more we start to see clearly, we think, you know, impermanence, again, so central. No matter how pleasant it is, it won't last. No matter how unpleasant it is, it also won't last. When we take it all personal and try to control and manipulate and cling, trying to create a refuge from impermanent, impersonal things, we create so much unnecessary unhappiness for ourselves. But when the awareness starts to see clearly, the suffering starts to subside. Still have pain, still have loss. The body continues to age all by itself. The mind continues to think all by itself. We don't suffer so much about it. More acceptance, more harmony with existence, less resistance. I talked about the three kind of stages to meditation, the avoidance meditations, the training meditations, the observing, investigating meditations like we did tonight. I have some sense that um, from a Buddhist perspective, there can be a spiritual journey that happens. You get to reflect if this, if you're where you see yourself on this journey. I feel like the journey, the spiritual journey starts with I am suffering and I am seeking freedom from suffering. And I'm so desperate, I'll learn meditation. <laughs> I'll go to meditate. I'll, I'll, you know, I will do what I can do to alleviate my suffering. And it's all from a very self perspective. I am a person seeking a spiritual solution, spiritual experience. Stage one most of us i think everyone enters there second stage that can happen and it's a little uh bumper sticker dharma i am a spiritual being having a temporary human experience right that shift from i'm a person speaking seeking spirituality to that other identification ego trip I'm fucking spiritual as a motherfucker. <laughs> I am so spiritual, but I'm here with you earthlings <laughs> stuck in this meat suit temporarily. I'm a spiritual being having a temporary human experience. Stage two. A lot of people get stuck in stage two. Maybe most people stay in stage one their whole lives. I'm suffering and I'm seeking freedom. And then, you know, can kind of stage two. I'm spiritual. Just have to deal with all this shit. You motherfuckers. Always in my way in traffic. Stage three, maybe part of this anatta perspective is coming to understand rather than I am a 
person seeking freedom or I'm a spiritual being having a temporary human experience is starting to see through direct mindfulness that there's just a whole bunch of experiences here experiencing themselves. There's just a mind that's conscious, that perceives. There's just a body that's impermanent, that's aging, that's known by consciousness. And that in some ways, it's all just experiencing itself rather than this identification of I am experiencing it. It's ex the mind has a mind of its own. The body knows itself. We have this identification with, I am the rainbow. <laughs> I am the observer. I am the consciousness. I am the self. But really, it's all just unfolding based on the causes and conditions that gave birth to it. Experiencing itself. No longer identified with, I am the owner of this experience. It is just playing out. Ultimately, on the relative level, where the, there's some part of us that's aware of it playing itself out, of our karma playing itself out, of consciousness knowing the thoughts that are arising in this body, the emotions that are arising in this body. But ultimately, it's knowing itself. And there's not a separate, solid me that is the owner of any of it. We've got 10 minutes for discussion, questions, comments, clarifications. Russ Smith has a rebuttal. Question. Uh, if we accept uh, that everything we think we are is um, a manifestation of causes and conditions, and that uh, uh, this belief that we are a separate self is an illusion, don't we also have to believe that free will is an illusion? Why? Why are they? Because who has the will? There's no separate self and everything manifestation of causes and conditions. Where's the agency of a separate self? It's a good question. Um, and, I, and I like the, uh, the question for those of you at home was, if we accept that um, there's no solid separate personal self um, do we also have to let go of the idea of free will um, because where's the agency if there's no self who or what part of us has the agency i don't know the answer to it maybe maybe the answer is yes that we have to let go of the idea of total free will um, I don't think that's the right answer. I think that there might be some Buddhist answer around, um, like it's the chitta, you know, when we've discussed the, the chitta that is not part of the self and not, and not part of the, um, that is that which can choose, that which knows. Uh, Ajahn Chah said, you know, be that, that part of the, which almost sounds like consciousness, be the one who knows. And that makes those free will decisions to do the right thing and the wise response and the understanding, the one that knows that it's not personal. Um, 
Semedo, John Semedo often talks about if you're going to, you know, be any uh, identified with any part of it, be identified with that awareness. And maybe it's in that awareness that is the free will. It's that awareness to see clearly and choose the appropriate response, that there is something there. That e but that even that free will, that agency that exists, is also not a solid separate self. It's connected with, it's all part of this impermanent process that we're in, but that there is the ability to choose to make, um, I mean, I, I love, maybe I'll do a whole thing on free will because it's a great question. I don't know if everybody gets it, but it's such a great question of if there's no self, who's making the decisions? What is free, you know, to choose? Because it's not clearly we can choose to meditate. We can choose to train our mind to become wise, to forgive. All of that is a choice. There's so much agency in our humanness. Does there need to be a self for there to be agency? It's kind of the question, right? I don't know the answer. I'll go for one online. Michael, go ahead and then I'll take the ones in the room. Thanks, Noah. I don't even know if it's a question. Maybe it is. It's, it's maybe it's a reflection. I'll see how it goes when I unpack it. I think during the meditation, when you talked about well, picturing yourself as a child or a younger version of something like, but the whole thing with Anada, like I guess, like going back to the start as an infant before conditioning, um, just as a conscious infant before you enter into like all the conditioning that's to come and the things you learn is, I mean, I feel like, you know, that conscious infant is a, obviously a product of some karmic momentum and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to ultimately, what, I, what I'm, what I'm getting to is that, um, all the conditioning that we get is, is subject to those three marks of existence. Like, so I feel like all along the path is ultimate reality and, and, and construct reality traveling side by side. And when we get actually, when we realize the, the, the privilege of human birth and access to the Dharma, that's when, you know, the Buddha's enlightenment helped us. It, it, it helps you like come out of the matrix or like come out of, um, the greed, hatred, and delusion, and 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 see the futility of seeking external refuge. Mm -hmm. So, um, and it, and you you kind of touched on it, you know, answering uh, Russ's question, the uh, how Samedo and Ajahn Chah talk about like conscious awareness. You mm -hmm. know, awareness is the refuge. Mm -hmm. It's it's unborn. It's origin unoriginated. You know, it's like it's always been. You know, so I guess that's the thing when you brought back picture yourself as something younger i in my mind i went back to being an infant and then i thought of all the conditioning and then how when we get to the point of coming into the dharma like you can see how you know everything before the you know the dharma is you know samsara so i guess that's what i'm trying to say thank you good to see you michael Toby. Very much. Um, 
I was happy that this was the topic tonight because I've been thinking about it and I was reading it. Whatever about that lady, but actually my son started asking me questions about this right now. Well, I remember you asked about this on the last retreat. Yeah. 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 Um, so, like, <coughs> So I'm still thinking about it, I guess. <laughs> um, I think probably like two things, like one, anyway, here's sort of where I'm at with things. First, I'm kind of like, the fuck is the point? Who gives a shit, right? And mm -hmm. so it's like, like, okay, so mindfulness and meditation, I'm doing this because she's reduced results. I suppose the point, ultimately you'd say the point to all of this is like, Nibana, right? Mm -hmm. So that's fine, any of this matters. Yeah. That's where I'm here. Not suffering. Um, and then, you know, like when you know, like with the 10 fetters, the first one is the self illusion. And then once you've got those three and you enter the stream, but then it seems like you're on Russell's boat where it's like once you enter, then you become a once returner and a non returner. And it's like that's the path. So where is your agency? If you've entered the stream, this is what's going to happen in your next few lifetimes. So maybe, I, I mean, I mean, right. I mean, isn't that sort of what it's like once you like, isn't it the first three fetters that, and then the, the, the skepticism and then the, the rule and, and ritual attachment, like mm -hmm. once that, then your path is like there, right? That's the, I mean, that's, the that's the Theravadan teaching. Um, I don't know. I don't personally. Uh, what Ramage is referring to is this this model of enlightenment in, in our form of Buddhism that says when you develop enough insight to no longer be identified with the personality, the, the self, the self as our personality view, and you have no longer doubt about the Dharma, uh, when you don't experience any doubt and identification with uh, the personality self. Um, and you're not attached to the kind of religious rituals of being Buddhist, that you're destined for liberation within seven incarnations, is what he's asking about. And that if that's true, um, yeah, where is the agency? Because what if you have all those insights, but you don't want to choose uh, liberation? I mean, I guess it's that sort of assumption that like, of course you want to choose liberation, and you've done so much work, it's you're now going in that direction. It's inevitable. Um, I don't know. I don't maybe uh, wondering why it matters. I feel like just kind of bringing it all back to does this help me suffer less now? Does this help me see more clearly and respond more compassionately and more and not, you know, just the potential of not being so self centered? is so huge and i feel like that's really what this is anatta the practical part of it is i don't have to be so identified with my thoughts my emotions my body my sensations there's a way to not take it all so personal and not suffer so much about it whether or not this is taking us all the way to nirvana we'll see i don't know i, I kind of tend to be quite satisfied with the practical application and not get too lost in the religious teachings around it. So then like what 
there's not a distinct self, then what is the karma attaching to? Is it Well, we'll end with that question, uh, which I do not have an answer to, but I've had the same question a lot. If there's not a self, but there is reincarnation, what is the karma that is reincarnating connected to? Because you would think it's the self that's karmically reincarnating, but so where, what is the, what's the uh, coagulate? <laughs> for the karma what is the cluster you know what's keeping that karma together as it goes from birth to birth i don't know <laughs> and it's one of those questions that the buddha didn't answer but it's a good you know it's a natural question to have so we'll end there it's nine o'clock i do want to especially with topics like this that can be a little hard to grasp uh, remind you that you get to contemplate this stuff. You don't have to believe any of it. But reflect, investigate, maybe even just set it aside. Some of the topics in Buddhism that don't fit for you, set them aside. What does fit? Oh, mindfulness really helps. The forgiveness, the loving kindness, the, that really helps. Focus on that. It's okay to set this stuff aside and then maybe you revisit it later. Oh, okay, let me keep looking at I feel so self-centered. Let me keep looking at this teaching on not self from the Buddha. Maybe it'll help me not be so self-centered. Class is done by donation. Please be as generous as you can. We're a nonprofit organization that is supported 100% by uh, those of you who attend, those of you who support the center. Please consider becoming a monthly supporter if you're not already, where you say, hey, I wanna, I wanna help against the stream, so I'm gonna give 25 or 50 or $100 a month. You can do that on the website by saying, you know, voluntarily becoming a, non, uh, a supporter to the nonprofit. Uh, all of the donations are tax deductible, if that's helpful. If you wanna make donations and write them off on your taxes, you can do that. Um, for the drop-in class, we suggest 25 bucks. If you can afford, you know, think of like what you pay for a yoga class, or at this point, we even pay for a coffee or a movie or something like that. You know, we're uh, so often spending 20 bucks here and 20 bucks there. Think about a meditation class as worthy of 20 bucks. I don't charge people because I don't want to exclude people who can't afford it. I want it to be inclusive of everyone. And maybe there's some people that can't afford a 20 25 dollar donation but most of us can so please please do please choose to to be generous including those of you at home please choose to click through on that link that uh emily and jeff posted there and make a donation for attending and supporting against the stream and thank you for your generosity i have a day-long meditation retreat on july 16th which is coming up two weeks uh, where we'll have a 9 a.m to 4 p.m day of meditation sitting meditation walking meditation a little break for lunch i'll be giving some instructions but it's just a great halfway through the year midsummer uh, check-in practice opportunity and then in the fall there's a seven-day silent meditation retreat you're all invited to I hope a lot of you come to it just up in the mountains here near Big Bear Running Springs, uh, California mountains. Uh, all of that information is on the website.
you can register at um, kensastream.com and um, see you next week. Many goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions with all beings everywhere. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.